glad you're here today at First Christian Church this morning. You've weathered the cold to make it here. We believe you've chosen wisely because we're here today to sit under the authority of God's word and to learn about how important that is uh, for him to shape us into who he's created us to be. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Second Timothy, the third chapter. Uh, we're going to be in Second Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Um, we are in week one of a series called Always Reforming. And uh, if you need a Bible or a study guide, we've got uh, guest connections, guest services people here coming down with study guides. This is a new five-week series, so there are new study guides for um, this series. Um, those study guides can be used by you individually. They're used as the curriculum for our life groups. If you need a Bible, they've got them handy as well. Um, so they can hook you up, just get their attention, and uh, they can give you um, those as they're walking back. A number of things to make sure we uh, talk about and cover this morning before we jump into things. This is a series um, called Always Reforming um, that is a five-week series. It's all about the foundational stuff uh, that makes us um, what we call Protestant uh, Christians. Um, it's spelled Protestant uh, said Protestant. I, I don't know why. Um, but we're here to talk about what makes us who we are as uh, Protestant believers. Uh, some cool foundational stuff to show you. Today's going to sort of set the tone for the series. We're going to talk about how Scripture is the ground level authority for everything that's going to be coming in the rest of the series and for defining who we are as people. Uh, for the nerds among us, if you want a theology assignment, today is the formal principle of the Reformation. Go look that up and have some fun with that. Um, scripture is our formal principle as opposed to the material principle, philosophy dorks. Okay, so moving on. That's like three of us, really, um, who will have a conversation in the hub later. Uh, the next four are going to be primarily doctrinal, and we're going to talk about why we believe in justification by faith alone, in Jesus, justification by grace alone, in faith in Jesus, that kind of thing. So uh, we'll talk about that more. If you don't know what in the world I'm talking about with justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, Stick with us for the next four weeks. Uh, we'll talk about where we get that in Scripture. Special thanks to Chris Oakes, who I think is with us. You don't even know why we're clapping, but everybody's like, it's good to hear a different preacher. Yeah. Um, Chris preached for us last week uh, on the importance of one of our seven habits, connect in a small group. Uh, we are focusing on that uh, this week. I was off doing some R&D at another church about some cool plans we've got coming up soon. Um, I hope you enjoyed your Twinkies last week, those of you who were here for last week's sermon. Nothing cool like Twinkies this week, just Hummer limos. Okay. <laughs> and also, by the way, thanks for those of you who did the uh, FCC Twinkie hashtag. Take a picture with you enjoying a Twinkie with your friends. It was uh, actually a trending topic within Greene County for uh, <laughs> like six people know the reference to Jimmy Fallon there. Uh, we are pushing life groups this month at the beginning of a new semester of life groups um, because, frankly, we are big enough as a church and we are busy enough as people that we need to be intentional about fostering deep personal relationships. We sort of go through life acting like you just happen upon <laughs> Christian community. Um, you don't just stumble upon deep relationship, friends. You don't stumble upon deep relationships. You create them. 
And for us, that's why we say connect in a life group. Uh, we are beginning to invest quite a bit so that we're not just a church that has life groups available, um, but so that we are a church that is comprised of life groups. We're serious about this as a church, and we're pouring more time and resources into small groups. Um, so Chris Oakes, who preached last week, uh, he, along with Jason McCoy, are in charge of our life groups ministry. Uh, we're paying Chris terribly part-time to sort of head that up administratively. Uh, we now have monthly training for our leaders, apprentices, and hosts. Uh, we also are going to be talking about uh, connecting a life group for an entire week of a Next Steps experience that I'll tell you about in just a minute here. As of today, we now have uh, 15 groups, four of which are brand new, two of which are leadership training groups. Uh, We now have groups meeting on every single day of the week for all the way from 18 plus. And uh, we have, as of today, about four to five dozen spots open and available. Um, So when we say connect in a life group, we mean (laughs) if you're looking for a life group, after the service, you can go to the hub and you can be connected to a life group today. Our goal is to be nimble enough for that to happen for you. Um, so uh, the main place beyond this context where you connect with other people relationally at FCC is in a small group. And remember, you don't just stumble upon deep relationships. You create them. Hebrews 10.25 said, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us meet together all the more as we see the day approaching. So uh, we're going to continue to push life groups this month as important, pushing small groups. Um, So FCCGreenville.info or someone in the hub for more information about that. I mentioned just a bit ago next steps. Real quick, (laughs) long story short. I've got something else to talk about, so I'm going to try to make this short. Long story short, um, in the beginning of February, maybe, um, the beginning of March, we begin a new and very important four-week journey, steps, um, experience, uh, call it a class if you want, but it's going to be more interactive than just a lecture thing. It's all about how our seven habits strategy is designed to connect you with God's vision for your life. Next steps is going to be all about how our strategy and the habits is about connecting you with God's vision for your life. We believe something audacious here at First Christian Church, which is that namely you can discover God's vision for your life through the seven habits at First Christian Church. So next steps, it's going to be four sessions on Sunday mornings. You'll be able to do it in any order. To start with any one of them, you can start at step four. You can do it once a month for the next four months. You can do them all in succession, one to four. It's going to be that kind of a thing where you don't have to just sign up. Uh, You can just show up. And begin to do that. So it's all about how FCC's programs and habits are designed uh, to give you a vision for your life. Um, it's an interactive experience where you'll meet other people. We're going to play some games. You're going to put together a puzzle. You'll eat some donuts, have some coffee, meet some new people. Um, we're really excited about this and we'd really like to be a part of that. So that was about two minutes longer than I intended to talk about. So next steps, we'll tell you more soon. It's really important for the life of our congregation moving forward. Last thing to touch on before we jump into sermon time. Um, We have been doing for about the last uh, five to six years in a row um, a really fun sweetheart banquet um, every February. And it's been a really great night for many of us. Um, But sad face, uh, we are doing away with sweetheart banquet this year for something we've actually needed to focus on for many years here at FCC. 
Uh, and we've decided that this year is the time to make the change. We're beginning something new that is focused on our second habit of serve on the team. And we're calling it our FCC uh, team bash. And it's going to be Sunday, February 25th, 6 to 8 p.m. Here in this room, child care provided. It's going to be a free banquet as a night of recognition and appreciation and uh, general frivolity for all who volunteer uh, to serve on Team FCC. Um, it's a party. It's a celebration of anybody who volunteers uh, to serve on the team. Um, you may not be aware, but something around 35 to 40% of our Sunday morning adults serve on the team in some capacity. Uh, so we want to continue to recognize them uh, and love on our volunteers. And so if you serve in any official capacity FCC, uh, you can sign up for that. If you serve, that's your invitation. So want to uh, continue to create a culture of service being an important part of that, giving you a vision for who you are in Christ through our habits. So buckle up. 2018's got a lot coming up. Let's go ahead and pray and jump into Second Timothy, the third chapter, verses 10 through 18, 10 through 17, I'm sorry. Father in heaven, we give our hearts to you afresh in the quiet of this moment. Asking that your spirit would fill and renew us so that we would leave this place changed with a greater sense of your holiness and your goodness and our need for your provision in Jesus so that we would leave this place with a greater sense of how you've spoken to us and revealed yourself to us in the pages of this book so that we could know your son Jesus and that we could have a relationship with you. Father, as we open your word, we open our hearts and we submit ourselves anew to your work in us. We surrender ourselves afresh to your Spirit's move in our hearts so that as a result of our time together among the gathered body of believers that you would be glorified, that you would be praised, that your name would be held high and we would leave this place with a greater sense of mission and vision as we submit ourselves to the authority of your word in our lives. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off by giving you um, a five-minute church history lesson. Um, sort of. <laughs> uh, and in a kind of a weird way. So five-minute church history lesson, sort of, and in a pretty weird way. This is a Hummer limousine. Inside and out of a Hummer limousine. I promise this is about church history. First service was the same way, like, and. This Hummer limousine can seat 18 passengers. It has power everything. It comes with heated and air-conditioned leather seats, 
tinted windows, crazy lighting effects throughout. It has a fog machine, a wet bar, a karaoke machine, a flat screen TV, uh, approximately 300 speakers. And it has its own Wi-Fi so that kids going to prom can take and share their selfies and make their friends jealous. By the way, this would be a legit way to show up to prom. Am I right, young people? (laughs) Are we preaching yet? So this Hummer limo is about as luxurious as it gets. I promise this is about church history. (laughs) Now here's the thing about this Hummer. This Hummer was not built to take people to proms and weddings. It was never meant to have air-conditioned leather seats and fiber-optic mood lighting. The Hummer was originally built for war. The Humvee was originally an all-terrain vehicle intended for military operations. It was designed to follow in the tracks of tanks to travel over deserts while under enemy attack. This Hummer limousine is about as far afield from its original purpose as you can get. Now are you tracking a little? This is what the Hummer was originally built for right here. This is the Humvee. This is how it was used originally. And let me promise you, (laughs) you don't get into this Hummer and think, ooh, this is comfy. You sit in this Hummer and you know what it's about. Are we preaching yet? This Hummer was built for work. It was built for battle. It was built to be a workhouse for military, a workhorse for military operations. So here's my question. How in the world, how in the world did a Hummer built for war become a luxury vehicle used for weddings and proms? Small compromises over time that changed it from its original purpose as a battle-ready vehicle. Small deviations over time from its standard purpose as a battle-ready vehicle. Is it clear? We're talking about church history and maybe even our own lives at this point. Look at this picture of how Hummers have changed over time. This is sort of the degeneration of Hummers here. The one in the middle there is uh, the original Humvee. The one in the bottom right there is Arnold Schwarzenegger and one of the original uh, Humvees. He basically convinced them uh, to go commercial with it. Uh, the bottom left is the Hummer. Uh, it's a, the H1. And then we have the H2 and 3 up in the top right corners. Here's the thing. People buy Hummers thinking they're getting a rugged, battle-ready vehicle, when actually what they're mostly getting is a luxury SUV that's well-equipped for suburbia. Small compromises over time are what change an original into an imposter. When purpose shifts by inches over time, we wind up 
accepting a purpose different than the original. All the while thinking we're being faithful to the original because it looks like that on the outside. Now by the 1500s, by the 1500s, the church looked more like a Hummer limo taking people to proms and to weddings than a vehicle that was ready for war. It was selling what are called indulgences. I've got a picture we'll show you here. Uh, long and fairly complicated story short. <laughs> Back then, an indulgence was basically this piece of paper. It was purchased from a church official, and it basically would buy you... Uh, Basically, forgiveness from sin. It was less time in purgatory, a place in between here and heaven where you'd have to pay off uh, sin, that penance area. It would lessen the debt that you owed for sin. Think about that. You could buy (laughs) away your sin debt. And at the time, indulgences were primarily used for two things. Number one, to uh, fund the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And also at the time uh, to fund the luxurious lifestyle of the Pope. There was a man named Johann Tetzel who was the main seller of indulgences. He would show up at the town square. He would beat his drum. He'd wait for the people to gather. And he would sell these indulgences to people with a famous saying that rhymed in the German just like it does in the English. He would say, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Now, I don't want to sound too much like a jerk here, and I'm, I'm aware that many of you grew up in this particular tradition, but here it goes. This is still the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And while you can't buy an indulgence, you can still earn one. So let's not pretend that doctrine doesn't matter. We believe as Protestants... Uh, that earning salvation is a perversion of the foundational doctrine of the gospel of justification by grace. If you have no idea what I just said, stick with us through the end of this series. We basically are going to be teaching you the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, with the foundational authority of Scripture as the place that teaches this. Friends, when when human officials and uh, when the, the church begins to get into the place where it considers itself, and I'm quoting from the Roman Catholic Church officially here, when it considers itself the minister of redemption, it has not only ceased to submit itself to the authority of the Bible as the ground level foundation, it has ceased to be what I would call a church. Because we're gathered because the Bible is over the church, not the other way around. So please hear this clearly today. It is the word of God that forms the people of God. It is the word of God that forms the people of God, not the other way around. This book interprets us. Now, the main question for us today uh, is not to point out what's wrong with 
other Christian traditions. Uh, The main question for us today is to apply this to ourselves. How do we keep ourselves from turning into a limousine equipped for prom? How do we keep ourselves uh, leaving behind our original purpose as people built for God's glory, becoming people who end up being about our own glory? How How do we prevent that in ourselves? How do we maintain battle readiness? How do we stay focused on our purpose? We maintain that the Word of God is the ground level authority. It's the ground level authority for all of life and reality. This book interprets us. It tells us who we are. It functions as the ground level authority for all of life. I don't interpret this. This interprets me. This is what it's like to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, to understand that he speaks to us and reveals himself even in something as crazy as the pages of this book. And friends, this matters because what lies in the balance for us is a lifetime of readiness for suburban America and for shopping well and for being distracted with sports and recreation and working hard at widgets and caring about the temporary material things of this world. What lies in the balance is a lifetime of readiness for the things of this world or a lifetime of readiness for one's soul to meet a holy and perfect God. And this book tells us how to be ready. So friends, when we stop comparing ourselves to this standard, we lose our sense of purpose. Paul knew this truth well. And so he instructs his protege, his young protege, Timothy, to remember your purpose by going back to the standard. Remember your purpose by going back to this book. Remember who God created you to be and what your authority is by going back to the authority. This passage here in 2 Timothy 3 is sort of functionally Paul's New Year's speech to Timothy. Like at the beginning of a new year, at the beginning of a new ministry, Timothy, go back to the Word. Stay grounded in the Word. Make sure you are prepared for what's coming by sticking to the ground of authority for your life. Paul is reminding him to rely on the Scripture and to trust his training. Jump in with me in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and through 17. Notice here, notice here how Timothy is encouraged by Paul to stay grounded in face of opposition by staying true to the word as the authority. Watch this. Verse 10. You, however, Paul speaking to Timothy, contrary to those who have lost their way, who have lost their focus, you, however, have followed my teaching, Paul speaking, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, All these mys, Paul has been followed by Timothy well. Timothy knows him well. You have followed all these things, verse 11, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Those are described in in, in, uh, Acts, which persecutions I endured. And then he says this, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Paul is encouraging Timothy here because he's likewise going to face opposition and persecution, which he notes in verse 12. Keep reading. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those who don't desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, don't worry about persecution. (laughs) Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's describing the people who are opposing Timothy. But he says this, here's how you stay grounded. Here's how you stay true. He says, but as for you... 
Timothy. Verse 14, continue. Continue, press on. Keep strong. Contrary to those who have lost their way, contrary to the Hummer limos all around you, (laughs) remember, you're here and what you're supposed to be about for the purpose of the glory of God. You're living in wartime, Paul is saying to Timothy and us. He says, as for you, continue, how? In what you have learned and have firmly believed. We're getting at the God's word part of it here. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now press pause for a bit here. Paul is saying, in other words, Timothy, you have learned this book, this truth about God from people you trust, from trustworthy people. Paul says the same kind of thing in multiple times in this letter. In the first chapter, verse 5, he says, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy, I'm reminded even of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first, it lived first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. You learned this from trustworthy people, Timothy. Verse 13, chapter 1, Paul says, follow that pattern. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. The verification of it being from God and true and that it works is that you've seen it happen in me, Paul says. You saw it in your grandmother, your mother. It's in you. You've seen it in me. You know the word of God works. You know the word of God does the work. You've seen it happen in people. And here's an important turn of thought here. The people Paul is describing from Timothy's past and himself, the people, in a sense, (laughs) are the embodied truth found in God's words. Think of how radical that is. God's words are fundamentally what form God's people. No human institution can do that. No human-centered body of experts, no matter how learned or amazing, can do that. Only the truth that comes from the heart of God, used through the Spirit of God, can form people into people of God. Don't forget, Timothy, this is what Paul is saying, don't forget is the Word of God that does the work. So he says continue in that. Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed He says this. This is cool. I'm going to point out some cool things here. Continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, verse 14, keep going, verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, uh, people like to question the Bible by saying that it doesn't claim uh, authority for itself. Uh, They like to say lots of things, but they they like to say things like it was formed too late to be reliable uh, and things like that. And and there aren't aren't places in Scripture uh, that talk about it having that kind of authority from God. So they will easily, you know, in their minds, they discredit the Bible by saying that we Bible thumping, you know, crazy conservative evangelicals. Uh, We claim more than Scripture claims for itself. That's what a lot of people will come down on. Listen closely. Here's a place in Scripture where Paul reminds Timothy how from Timothy's childhood he has been acquainted with what he calls, quote, the sacred writings, which, keep reading, are able to make you wise 
for salvation, which assumes both Paul and Timothy are aware of the importance of the scriptures. They're aware of it as an already existing body of scriptures that exist as a standard for salvation. Not merely the previously existing Old Testament scriptures of the Jewish faith, but keep reading. They are wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So think about this. Paul is writing to Timothy, reminding him to stay grounded in the sacred writings that he had learned from his childhood, which he has known from his childhood that are able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is aware of its own authority as the word of God. Hebrews 4 speaks of it as being living and active. You, you see the development of the Word of God in Acts, in Acts 6 and 12 and 13 and 19. The Word of God is spoken of like it's got its own sort of personality. It's talked about as spreading and, and increasing as if it's a living and breathing being. This is not just crazy talk. Look at verse 16. Here's why. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Verse 16, Paul uses a, a compound word here um, that, that, that means it's breathed out by God. The scriptures are breathed out by God. This is important because God breathed out the scriptures, meaning God is the source of them. So when we say that the scriptures are inspired, uh, they're infallible, they're inerrant, they're without error, uh, they're wise for salvation, they do what they're intended to do. When we say that, we mean they work because they come from the heart of God. He inspires because they are expired, breathed out by him. The words in this book faithfully carry truth because they come from the heart of God. If some of you wonder why we're so crazy about the Bible, it's because God spoke it. And it says all Scripture, not the parts you like, not the parts you're familiar with, not the parts you're comfortable with, just saying, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it says this, verse 16, it's profitable meaning it's useful, it's like a tool, it does its work for a number of things. He lists a few, teaching, reproof, uh, correction, and training in righteousness. For this purpose, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, that we may be ready for all we're called to in life, that we would be equipped for every good work. This book enables us to be ready for what God has called us to do and to be. Friends, this book, when read through the eyes of faith in Jesus Christ, these scriptures, they make dead people alive. They turn people who are selfish into servants. The scriptures, they bring freedom for those who are enslaved to their sins. The word of God brings rest for the weary, riches for the poor, and hope for those who stopped seeing light a whole long time ago. These are not God, as if we should worship them. 
but we believe something radical about them. Namely that this book contains the very words of God and that reading them and studying them and taking them in and meditating on them and marinating in them, that praying through them, that thinking about them, that speaking from them will form us. We believe these words and when we live with them, that they will form us in a way that means God forms us through His Spirit. That's radical, crazy stuff. So in 2018, uh, if you want to ensure that you do not lose sight of your purpose, (laughs) keep close to this standard. If you have found yourself wavering from what you know is God's best, read this book. If you have found that you have capitulated, if you've, if you've given in far too much to the standard of the world, and you find yourself well prepared to shop, well prepared to play sports and produce widgets, but not to care for your soul, I beg you, read this book. The Word of God is how we are called to maintain faithfulness to our original purposes. This is how we remain battle-ready for life, for parenting, for marriage, for being a single mom, for struggling through school, for dealing with brokenness in your family, for dealing with sin you can't handle. This word calls us back to our original purpose. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, forgive us for neglecting the truth of your word. Forgive us for depending upon and relying upon ourselves and the wisdom of the world that is not wisdom. Give us your spirit to help us maintain focus. That we would continue to say yes to who you've called and created us to be. ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.
Oh, 